Welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky Hampson. And I'm Helen Honeyset. We're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests. And also help you navigate the complexities of being a leader from every aspect, from the sublime to the ridiculous and everything there in between. This week's guest is Brian Gillette. Brian teaches executives how they can reach their peak. He wrote Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. And we're going to be really interested in hearing a little bit about how to do that now. Brian, welcome. Well, it's nice to be here, Vicky, and nice to see both of you and Helen. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. Before we dive right into the questions, I just wanted to let everybody know that you can find out more information about Brian and believe us, there is a lot of very insightful, very valuable information in our downloads available alongside this podcast at www.defyexpectations.co.uk. At Defy Expectations, we talk about how you can optimize productivity. How do you work with leaders to actually help them, Brian, achieve even more than they possibly imagined around productivity? We live in this get rich quick, kind of lose weight fast mentality. There are tons of books out there. And so instead of thinking about what you want to do this year or even next year, Part of what I want to do is how do you get people to think about what do they want to do in 5, 10, 15, or even 30 years out? And so it's thinking further out. And I remember when I was 20, I wrote down a bunch of goals that I wanted to accomplish. It's that life list. It's that bucket list. It was the ability to retire by 50, to write a book, to own my own business, to visit all seven continents. I still have Antarctica that I got to get to. And, and it required me to think further out. And so that's kind of drives where I go. And so I, I want them to identify where do they want to go and be able to see that because if you can't see it, you can't do it. And so in order to vision those big things, you got to spend a higher percentage of your time working towards those areas. I was working with an organization just the other day and they, they put up a bunch of things that they wanted to accomplish and, and they were hesitant to write something on the, on the board. And I said, don't worry about whether or not it can be done this year, but worry about if it's the right thing to be doing. And then we can figure out what to do this year in order to drive in that direction. So that interesting balance of, is it right versus can we do it? Brian, you've interviewed hundreds of executives and endurance athletes. What surprised you most about how they approached their productivity. They're hyper-focused and very determined and they don't let fate drive their direction. They recognize that they're in control of where they want to go and they drive that direction. They also recognize that they have to say no to some things. One of the executives I talked to, he's a CHRO, so Chief Human Resources Officer. At the time, he was a FIFA referee. He would referee at the highest level in soccer, in football, and was an Ironman. And he said, when I am training for an Ironman, I need to find 12 hours per week. And so that means I have to say no to some things. 
And, and I have to say no or, or say yes to a very few number of things in order to do that. So 12 hours, you may be thinking, God, that's a long time. That's 7% of our week. I remember I had a CEO that used to tell me, we're not that efficient where we can't find 5% of our time. And I used to have my staff spend 5% of their time just thinking about what are the new things they ought to be focusing on. So don't focus on your MBOs for that 5%. Focus on what are the new ideas, because that's what's going to drive us forward and drive us into the future. Now, with that, there was often not a work-life balance. We often strive for a work-life balance. And when you are hyper-focused, when you're very determined on something, Sometimes you don't have the work-life balance for a period of time. And that happened. I'm an ultra-distance athlete. And, you know, I ran 200 miles. It's eight marathons back-to-back. And I knew that I was not going to have the same balance while I was training. And I had to give up on certain things. So I couldn't give up on sleep. I didn't want to give up on eating or spending time with my kids. And so I knew I had to take fewer clients during that time. So you don't have that work-life balance all the time. Thank you, Brian. It makes me think a lot when I hear your analogies of saying no to things in order to do more. I like that sort of visualization, the see it, do it, to, to be able to drive it. So with those thoughts in mind, at Defy, our mission is really about putting people in the right places and enabling them to do the right things. Easy to say that, often difficult to make that the reality. Now, your approach to productivity is about pushing leaders to focus on the right things and a little bit of building on what you've said already, but doing this with that future looking view. And I love that reference to if you can't see it, you can't do it. So you've told us a little bit already, but maybe can you expand on that a bit more about how you push leaders and enable leaders to look further than this and achieve even more? The first one is look out further, but two other areas is analyze your nervous quotient and then stretch yourself further. I was working with a client and we put together their strategic plan was, and halfway through the day, we all look up at it and we're kind of looking up at the board and, and I asked them two questions. I said, how confident are you guys that you can do this? And they, and they looked at me and, and they said, we're really confident we can do it. And then I asked, how nervous does this make you? And most of them said, you know, it doesn't really make me feel nervous. Now, I think those two go hand in hand. I said, well, it might not be big enough. <laughs> so I think if you're going to do big things, it should make you nervous. You should look at it and go, Ooh, you get those butterflies flying in your belly. And if you're not doing that and, and it's just, yeah, this is going to be easy. Then I say, go a little bit bigger until you get to that point that it does make you nervous. That involves taking some risks. I was working with one client, a, a fortune 100 client. And, and we were talking about risk. We were talking about taking risks because their organization had a competitor that was highly risky, that was moving up. And they were going back and forth with it, whether one, they wanted to take more risk. And the head of the function that I was working with, he said uh, to his entire team, he said, I'm, I'm very comfortable taking risks. As long as you think through everything and make a financially sound decision after you look in at all the variables. And, and I'm standing up at the room and I'm listening to this and I, I'm thinking, that's not risk. 
you know, you're playing it safe. When you take a risk, you don't know all the variables and you don't always make a fine sound financial decision. They were a massively large company and they could afford to put some money aside, take some risk in order to try to find that next thing. My wife's a swimmer and we often talk about whether you swim in the deep end or the shallow end. And when we swim in the shallow end, it's very easy. It's very comfortable. And I try to encourage people, it's like, go out into the deep end every once in a while. It's the same type of swimming, but it forces you just to get out into that uncomfortable zone. So you know, I'll often ask some questions when people will, will tell me, it's like, oh, you know, I can't do that. And, and what I ask is, okay, can it be done? Let's, let's back up and, and start with that. Is, has somebody done it before? And then what would you need in order to move you forward a little bit more and kind of get to that where maybe, maybe you can do it or at least move in that direction? Brian, a lot of this happens in set moments. Strategic meetings come together, your annual senior leadership offsite, whatever it is. But how does the work you do support leaders when times are tougher, sort of when the chips are down and they're not necessarily moving forward in the direction they want to and they're a little bit stalled, but they just have to keep going. What are you doing to help them overcome that? You've spoken about pushing them into the deep end, but what do you do to support them through that process? Yeah, and part of it is spend some time in the shallow end because you build that confidence in the shallow end. And so work on the shallow end. And then when you get that confidence up, then you can start moving over into the deep end. And I don't think you should spend all your time in the deep end, but spend a little bit of time. I know what you talk about when you talk about forward momentum and just feeling stalled. As I'd mentioned, I do ultra distance. When you're running 200 miles and, you know, and you're doing eight marathons back to back, there are times you just don't want to keep moving forward. There are times you come into an aid station. So what happens on a run like this is every 20 miles or so, there's an aid station where you can get food, you can get water, you can get new shoes. And, and it's hard to leave the aid station because you're sitting down and it's very comfortable and, and, and you're warm. With an event like this, I have a crew who supports me and they follow me along at different parts of the aid station. And I told my crew, your job is to get me out of the aid station when I come in. And then I have pacers. So there will be one person that runs with me from aid station to aid station, you know, at a certain point. And I said, your job is to get me to the next aid station. One person's job is to get me to the next aid station. The other one is to get me out of it as quickly as possible. So it, it keeps it going. But you know, what I, what I often talk and what I, goes through my mind is why are, why am I doing this? And so I try to get leaders to think about, you know, when you're in a tough time, why are you doing what you're doing? Simon Sinek calls it knowing your why. One of the executives, his name's Barry, just a phenomenally brilliant guy. And he runs an economic development organization for this massive area that covers about 20 cities out of the, the capital of California. And he loves economic development. He loves bringing life to a city and they can help build jobs. And, and I asked him, how do you do it? And, and what keeps you going? And he, and he told me, when I was a kid, my dad lost his job. 
And I saw when he lost his job, he just lost that, that zeal for life. And I never wanted other people to have to go through that. And so I work so hard in my job to make sure that other people don't have to go through what I saw my dad go through. And so he knows his why. Another woman that I interviewed, her name is Ali. She runs an organization where they have about 4,000 African weavers. So it's called All Across Africa. And these women weave these baskets. They're in Rwanda or Uganda. They weave these baskets. Those baskets are then exported into Europe. They're exported into the United States. And she's able to increase the wages of all these women by almost four times. And she's been through two pandemics. The first one was Ebola. And she thought the company was going to go under. She's one of the founders of the company. And she kept going back. Here's why we're doing this. We have to keep going through. But here's why I want to try to bring these women back into a much better situation. And so I'm talking to her during COVID and I'm asking her how things going. And she said, you know, I've been through this before and I know we can get through it. And so it's that she's been through something like that. She survived and, and she made it. She made it out with no problem. So how do you recognize it? Maybe you've been through something like this or other people have been through something like this, or it may have been worse and they, or you came out of it fine. And so you will get through it. There will be days that it gets better. It may not get better tomorrow, but eventually it will get a little bit better. Brian, if I may, you prompted another question in me. Sure. We know bad things happen. We know things get tough. But actually, the biggest cause of failure in business is quite often a business or a company doesn't know or they're not aware of the fact that they're stuck in an aid station. They're in comfort zone and they don't see anything. They're very happy where they are. They've got food. They've got new shoes. Everything's great. How do you help a company see that they're actually maybe stuck? Not in a bad situation, but they're stuck happily in their comfort zone. Their competitor might help them to see that. <laughs> and you got to know what your competitors are doing and are they coming up with new things? I mean, you look at all these companies that were very comfortable and maybe they're out of business. And so I think part of it is having that conversation with the executive team or the different leaders is you can't stay where you're at. If you stay where you're at for too long, somebody's going to come up and they're going to find a competitive advantage and they're going to take over. You look at the taxi business and you look at what Uber and Lyft have done. The taxi business has been pretty much the same for a long period of time. And then Uber and Lyft came along. And this happens with a lot of technology. They came along and they offered a different way for you to get from the airport to your hotel or you to get from your restaurant back to the bar or wherever you're going. And they're able to do it at a cheaper route. And you know the service is better in many cases. I try to get people to look at well, what's your competitor doing and recognize you can't be sitting down doing the same thing over and over. One, I think it just gets boring to be doing the same thing over and over. But from a business perspective, 
your competitors will come up and they will do it better and better. And then you will no longer have to worry about your problem because you'll have bigger problems. Again, Brian, thank you so much. I think the sporting analogies is wonderful to have them flow through because they're yours. They're so genuine and they're incredibly meaningful. One that always stays with me. I'm not an ultra runner, but I worked for Nike for a long time. And the, the Nike strap line is if you have a body, you're an athlete. So by that, you know, by that line, I am an athlete. But it really makes me think that that discussion you've just had around being stuck in the aid station. There's also another one of Nike's very famous strap lines that there is no finish line from a campaign many years ago. And I guess from your real experiences of being an ultra athlete, there may be a finish line, but you keep going. There's another one. You pack another one in. You find your next push. Whilst you're in the aid station, and though there is no finish line, how do you also help your leaders and those that you coach think about keeping their well-being, keeping the fuel in the tank, making sure that because businesses are relentless and keep pushing, how do you enable them to find that balance? Sometimes it's hard to find the balance. If you're doing something really big, you may not have that work-life balance as we talk so much about. But at some point in your life, you may not have a, a, a good work-life balance. But if that's important to you, then how do you find it out over a longer period of time? It's like, okay, maybe this year we've got this new product that we're releasing and I've just got to work really hard in order to do it. But then maybe once it's out, I can kind of take a different role or I can get a little bit more balanced. I think the other thing is going back to what are your priorities and being able to really assess what's important in life and what do you value? I don't think we spend enough time looking at what we value personally, as well as companies. So many companies have their values up on the wall, but how many of them really, I mean, if I were to go in and talk to them and you guys do this type of work and you know, how many times you go in and you, you ask somebody, what do you value? What are your values? And, and they'll, you know, some of them will look down at that card on their badge and see you know, if it's there, they'll kind of look around, but rarely do I find people can nail them really, what is it that you value? For me, I know like adventure is a core part of who I am. And, and my family is a core part of who I am. And I remember about 10 years ago, I was working like crazy and I was traveling a lot and I had two young kids and I wasn't able to see them as much as I wanted. And in the five years prior to that, my wife and I had been to a dozen funerals and we were going to funeral after funeral after funeral. And, and I remember driving back from one funeral and we get a call and somebody else had just passed away. And my wife is crying. It was on her side of the family and she's crying. And my young son in the back, he leans forward. He goes, what, what's wrong? I said, oh, you know, so-and-so just passed away. And his response was, do we have to go to another funeral? And, and I said, no, no, you didn't. But it just opened up a light bulb for me. And, and so, you know, we realized it's like, okay, I'm going to change what I'm doing. You know, I talked early on about you have control of where you want to go. And that's where I decided I'm going to start my own business. And it's going to allow me to have more flexibility in my schedule. And so I had that control. I had the ability to do it. So figure out what you have control of and take control of it. There are times that, okay, I just got to work like crazy. And, and I get that. Uh, but going back to your original question, it's like, know what's important for you. 
and make sure you're focusing in that direction and working to get those things. Brian, that question that I've just put in there because your insight prompted me to is almost taking me to the next question I wanted to ask, which is a reflection of us. And you've really made me think about why we do what we do. So that's a lovely aha moment today. But it's more about in the spirit of defiant expectations, we are a little bit defiant as individuals and we're kind of proud of that. So on a serious note, can you think about what you might want to pay forward as a piece of or a pearl of defiant wisdom for other younger leaders aspiring for a future in leadership? The one thing that I would look at is ask yourself, and this is another way to kind of think bigger, ask yourself when a, a really big idea comes your way or really big opportunity comes your way, ask yourself, will I regret not doing this in 20 years? It seems so easy. I've done this a number of times. When I was 20, I bicycled across the United States, 4,000 miles. And right before I was getting ready to leave, the person I was going to go with, his dad came down with cancer and had to back out. And so I was, I was debating, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? And, and I asked, I remember asking that question. It's like, okay, this is probably one of the few opportunities I have to do this trip because I'm going to go off and I'm going to work full time. I'm going to have a family. It's like the opportunity is probably not going to make itself as easy. And so I asked myself, am I going to regret not doing this? And there's been other times I remember I was middle of my career and I had just met my wife and our company had been acquired by a much larger company. It wasn't going to be as exciting for me. And I had always wanted to travel around the world, take an extended period of time. And so I asked myself that question. It's like, now's an opportunity. I can go on leave of absence for seven months. I can go travel with this woman that I just met. And it's like, will I regret not doing this in 20 years? And it was so easy to say, yes, I will regret it if I don't do it. Now, we, we traveled together. At the end of the trip, we were standing on the Great Wall, and I got down on my knees and asked her to marry me. And so I don't regret that at all. And now we have two beautiful kids. And I remember just a couple of weeks ago, we had this opportunity where we saw somebody had traveled into Berlin, driven down to the border of Poland and Ukraine. And they were bringing refugees back into Berlin. They were transporting them and they had raised some money and they were buying a bunch of health supplies. And I saw it and I said, God, that sounds, you know, I, I talked about how my value is adventure. I said, that seems like such a cool adventure. And I threw it out to my wife. I remember her saying, she goes, because we're trying to decide if we do this and we do it with our two kids that we would raise some money. We'd go help the refugee center. We'd get into Poland and do, do some work. And, and my wife looked at me, she said, I think we're going to regret it if we don't do it. I think we're going to regret it if we don't do it. And she was so right. And it's like, okay, instantly. All right, we're doing it now. Let's figure out how to do it. So it's that ask yourself, will I regret not doing this in, in 20 years or 30 years or 40 years? And, you know, there, there's a, a, a book by a woman, uh, Ronnie Rare, and she talks about the top five regrets of dying. And what people said is, they regret the things they didn't do versus the things they did do. That makes you stop and think a little bit, doesn't it? Thank you, Brian, so much for sharing your insights, not only on how we can live a better life, but also on leading others as well. Oh, no, it's a pleasure to, pleasure to talk to, to you, Helen, and to you, Vic. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on your show.
that's really wonderful it's so thought-provoking and I've talked as we've gone through about some of the things that have stood out but I sort of scribble and make notes as we're having our conversation and I've actually drawn the acme nervous ometer the dashboard of how nerves would increase with that question that you asked. I thought it was fantastic. I, I might have to get a picture of that. <laughs> it's not That's special, great. but it, it could be patented possibly, but that nervous quotient. And when you first said it, I thought, did I hear right? And then you went on to explain it. So that for me was a real sort of standout moment because it's a really insightful question because it's easy for individuals to play up the confidence factor, but you can really... I think peel back the onion when you're asking about nervousness. It, it, and it's, it's a physiological, it yeah. tells you that you're thinking bigger. And that's what I love about it. Cause there's no, I mean, what's big for you, Helen is different than what's big for, for Vicky and is different than what's big for me. So it, it, it's like, okay, yeah, that, that, that's bigger. The thing that stood out is own your journey. So many times it's really easy to go, but I, I, I can't because I got this, 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 this list of excuses we come up for ourselves, but actually to find what you can control, own it, make your choices, move out of that. I can't to actually, what if I could, you know, I think that's, it's a really interesting and different lens to look on. So thank you. Thank you for that, Brian. Oh, my pleasure. As always, I'm sure that our guests are going to continue to be as interesting, but that was a fascinating chat, Brian. It was really insightful, full of great personal stories and anecdotes and really brought it to life in a way that I wasn't quite expecting to begin with when I started thinking about these questions. You start about thinking about productivity and you sometimes feel as though that can get very systematic, but actually the way you do it is very alive. It's very real. And it's very visceral because it's really about owning the life that you want to lead. So thank you very much. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Vicky. I appreciated being on the show. It's been, it's been a great conversation. So if you've been as inspired by the conversations that we've had with Brian and his insights, his questions, and his approach to productivity, which as we've just said, is often over-systematized, but I love this approach that We've really got under the skin of it and thought about what are the most important aspects to this. Please check back in with us. We're going to be running these regularly and we cover every aspect of the kind of skills and competencies leaders need to continuously develop and evolve to not just get by, but to genuinely thrive and have adventures just like Brian here. Do check out the website defyexpectations.co.uk. Not only has it got access to all of Brian's great work, but it is packed with tips and inspiration on our blog. Mm-hmm.